0: Morning Reach Church. So kids want to head out with Miss Katie now, and we can jump into the Word. So we've been going through Romans, we've been going through Romans, and I hope it has been a joy for you, it's been a joy for me that we get to see the gospel, that we get to see the good news of Jesus, that it, we are saved by grace, and we are saved not by works, but because of faith that we have in Christ and what he's done. That is the great joy of the gospel. And last, last week we talked about this great blessing that we are adopted into the family of God. That we're the sons and daughters of God. That we stand before him with the full sonship that Jesus had before him. But last week I left you with a, with a difficult passage. So Romans 8.17 ended, ended with this. As children we are heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Now that's the, that's the difficulty of this adoption that we talk about. That yes, we are adopted into the family of God. That we are treated with the full sonship of Jesus. But the difficulty is that then God treats us like his true sons, and he actually regards us just as he regarded Jesus, and Jesus suffered. He suffered. We look at the cross, we remember, he suffered. But then he came to glory. And Paul is kind of setting up this, this expectation for the Christian life, that the whole Christian life, actually the whole work of God in redemption, is a work of suffering turned into Glory suffering turned into glory suffering turned into glory that that is the pattern of the christian life that is the pattern of the redemption of the whole world and today i want to talk about that pattern the pattern of suffering to glory so let's read romans 8 verses 18 through 27 romans 8 verses 18 to 27 should be a Bible right ahead of you. It will be helpful if you look at that. But let's read Romans 8, verses 18 through 27. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as sons. Not even sons and daughters, but sons that we have the full sonship of Christ. And Father, we ask that you would show us the work that you are doing in suffering. We long to to see you as our Father, to accept the discipline that you have for us, to, to mature and grow into the fullness of Christ. But, Father, we need to know more about what you're doing here. We need to see your glory. And so we ask that through this passage, through the preaching of your word, by your Spirit, they would see this pattern of suffering unto glory, and that we rejoice in it, even as we groan inwardly. We pray this in Christ's name. So this whole passage revolves around this first verse. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now I talked about how there's this pattern of suffering to glory. But Paul sets it in a very specific context that yes, there is suffering in the present age. Immense suffering, Uh, amazing suffering, devastating suffering. But he sets that over and against glory. That suffering always leads to glory. It is pointing to glory. It is going to lead to glory. That glory is kind of the, the final consummation, that everything is building to glory. Now it's a little disappointing because most of us don't even have any idea what glory actually means. So, what is glory? We sang, we sang about it. We sang about majesty. We sang about being, being in awe. Glory is is beauty. It is splendor. It is just pure delight. And so, in the in the face of glory, we are silent. We stop in our tracks and we just stand in awe of glory. That it blows us away. We have nothing to say. We just, we just absorb it and take it in. We enjoy it and we worship. That is glory. Fathom, or a beauty that we cannot fathom that, that just takes hold of us. Now what Paul is saying here is that suffering is moving us towards glory, towards awe and wonder and worship. All right, so it's, it's basic understanding of this. We understand that suffering can result in glory. All right, so take, take the gym. You go to the gym, and you inflict upon yourself suffering. All right, you suffer and you suffer, and you go, you go to the potluck, and you don't eat the cheesecake. You, you suffer. You suffer, but what happens? You get glory. You get a, gl- a glorious body, right? And the, and the more you suffer, the more glorious you become. That's just how it works. Suffering, suffering turns into glory. All right, to so take another example, a, a, a great artist. A great artist, he pours his heart and his life and his soul into his work. He suffers for the masterpiece. And he gets more and more glory. Glory. I was talking with the, with the Leonards, and they, uh, they just went to see Notre Dame, which is the, probably the, the greatest Gothic cathedral in the world. And it took 200 years to build that amazing glory to God. And lives went into suffering for that building, to carving the statues out of stone, to, to doing the woodwork, like it it ate up and caused the suffering of like 14 architects that gave their whole lives to this and the result is this glorious, majestic building, probably one of the greatest in the world, that suffering turns into glory. So we understand that concept, we understand that concept, but there's a problem with it, that there aren't any guarantees And so oftentimes, we suffer, and then we look back and say, okay, what what glory did I get out of this? And we can say it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth the suffering. Or even worse, we could pour our suffering into something. We could suffer and suffer and suffer, and it results in actually the opposite of glory. We live humiliated. We live weak. We live devastated by the suffering. And so this is not a guarantee that every time you suffer, you get glory. But it can be used in that way. And what Paul is saying here, Paul is saying that the great assurance of the Christian life and of even even the world is that all of this suffering is going to spill into glory. That every little drop of suffering is going to turn into glory in the end. But he goes, he goes beyond that actually. He goes beyond that. And he says that actually the glory will f- so far outstrip the suffering that the sufferings of this present age aren't even worth comparing to the glories that are to come. Aren't even worth comparing. Alright, so an analogy for this. Let's say, let's say you, you find a, a magic wishing well. Alright, but it takes a penny. It takes a penny to cast your wish but you get the the desires of your heart. That's what Paul is saying here. That yeah, you lose the penny. You lose that suffering and there's immeasurable and infinite glory that comes from it. That no one's going to be standing around wishing that they hadn't invested the penny in this well. No, that their deepest dreams and hopes came true for a very small cost. That's what Paul is saying here. Now the hard part about that is that we don't believe it. We don't believe it. And we can't imagine it. Especially when we look at the suffering of people. We look at the suffering of the world. And we can't imagine how incomparable glory could come from these things. Now thankfully, Paul actually, uh, he understands that we have, a tr- have trouble with this. And so he gives us three examples of where this is the case. Of how this plays out. Alright. We're going to see it in creation. In the sons of God. And actually in the spirit. That these are the three places that Paul tells us. Suffering turns into incomparable glory. So let's jump right into it. Let's let's look at creation first. Creation is suffering. That it might move to incomparable glory. Verse 19. For the creation waits eagerly. For the creation waits with eager longing. For the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. All right, so what are we talking when you talk talking creation here? We're not talking everything. We're actually talking kind of what we'd call nature. So the, the rocks, the trees, the animals, you go on a hike, you see creation. And what Paul is saying here is Paul is saying that actually that creation is Personal. It's personal, it's in relationship with God, and it is suffering. And it's waiting with eager longing for glory to come upon it, for its suffering to end, for the incomparable glory to be realized. Now, what does that mean for us? When we should look, when we go out there, when we go out into the field, when we go out into nature, we see some of the glory of God but we also see the futility and suffering that is plaguing creation. An example of this, uh, Casey and I are watching uh, Planet Earth 2. You know, Planet Earth 1 was amazing. So Planet Earth 2, we were all excited about it. All right. uh, And you see the futility. There's this glory and wonder and beauty, but you see the futility and the suffering of creation. So just one example, one example. There's this this little little white bird this beautiful white bird called a fairy tern and you can see why it got its name it's, it's delicate it's beautiful has this blue beak and you're introduced to the fairy tern and it lives on this island and it's this paradise and we see this mother bird this mother bird and it's laid this this tiny little speckled egg and it's it's not in danger so it can just it can just literally just Lay it right on a branch there. But that fairy turn goes away and up comes this ugly little brown bird. (laughs) This scraggly, ugly little brown bird. And what does that bird do? He pecks a little hole in that egg. He just pecks a little hole. He doesn't eat it. He doesn't need it. He's just killing the egg. So there's a little less competition in the world for him. And you're, you're, you're like, I, I would tear my hair out looking at the TV, but I can't. Um, <laughs> no, not so much. Um, too late. Uh, but you're yelling at this stupid little bird, like, no, no. And then, and then the, the fairy turn comes back. And it's, it's like stepping in the yoke. And Dave in Attenborough, he says, he says that it's, it, it notices that something is wrong. But its instincts are so strong it can't do anything, but it still sits on that egg. It's just it's just death and futility and decay. And it's it's a tragic show actually. But you see like the little baby iguanas getting eaten by snakes and you see these like the, the parent penguins trying to feed their young and they're just getting dashed upon the rocks. Coming up like bloody and beaten. And you see that there's futility and there's suffering in creation. Now, the question is, the question is, why is it like that? And Paul is saying it's it's suffering to glory. But kind of more immediately, verse 20. Why is it suffering like this? Why is creation under this? For the creation was subjected to futility, Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Actually, this verse is saying that God did that to creation. God did that to creation. And he did it for us. That we are kind of tethered to creation. That we as the rulers of creation, when we sinned, we dragged down creation with us. And God gave us creation as a picture of what sin actually looks like. That sin looks like this destruction and this evil and this futility. So that when we look out into the world, we see our sin and we see the effects of it. Now, why, why am I telling us that? It's kind of helpful to look at a third person, a third party when we're talking about suffering. Because we get really personal with it. But if we look out in creation, we see that God is actually using the suffering of creation to help us that we might be saved. That creation is being destroyed and it's being, it's being driven into the dust. It is being bloodied and battered so that you and I might see we need a relationship with Jesus. Jesus. Look at verse 21. The creation it suffers, but it suffers in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So what is this saying? What is this saying? The creation actually it has hope. It has purpose in its suffering. And what it's doing? It's giving birth. It's giving birth to us, to the children of God. And the creation suffers, and creation endures, the curse of God, so that creation might help give birth to you and I as the children of God. Now, why why do we care? Why do we care about this? we need to see that there's purpose in suffering and that God can actually use it for our good. That creation even is being used to suffer for our good that our glory might be realized. But I think that Paul uses it for for a second reason too. Why is Paul talking about creation being transformed? He wants to see the incomparable glory that is to be revealed That we have kind of a a narrow, simple, kind of easy view of of what redemption looks like. And most of us think, okay, what what God's purpose is, is to get me the heck out of this evil world, get me up into some cloud world in the sky, and then I'll I'll be smiley and happy forever. That that's our vision of what God is doing on this this earth. That's what he's doing with the world. All right, that is 100% wrong. 100% wrong there's no glory in that that's just suffering unto suffering and what Paul is saying here is that no actually all of the cosmos every little fairy turn every little scraggly ugly brown bird is going to be transformed and perfected and renewed and glorified so it becomes this all invoking glorious beautiful thing Now we have a picture of it in in a sunset or in a mountain range. But it'll it'll transcend all of those things and be incomparably glorious. Isaiah 11 11 helps us with this. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the wean child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. That glory will encompass and envelop the whole world It'll be transformed into this place of beauty and wonder. Incomparable glory. All right, that's just, that's just one of the things that Paul wants to talk about. All right, he wants us to see that, that suffering can be used for glory and can transcend the things that we expect God Him to do with it. He can do amazing things with suffering. And that takes us to our next point. So we have creation groaning, we have creation waiting for glory, and we join them. The children of God also groan. Verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. All right, there's a very simple truth here. The Christian life right here and now is a time of groaning. It's a time of suffering. It's a time of of crying out to God that our adoption isn't actually fully secure yet. It's not fully consummated. We're not adopted as much as we want to be. We're not ultimately redeemed. We're not there yet. And I hope that that helps us just think about how we relate to God and how our relationship with the world we can be sold kind of this happy slappy Christianity. And then we should be totally like oh I I love everything about being Christian like I'm totally satisfied. No. That time hasn't come yet. That this time right now is a time for groaning. And a time for suffering and that's okay. Okay. That's you being honest with the state of the present reality. That you are suffering and have not found your glory yet. And sometimes we can oversell this present life and say, no, you're, you're, act like your hope is already here. Jesus Christ is your hope, but he's not fully here yet. We have not been glorified. This is a time of suffering. Suffering. And for the longest time, I didn't understand that. And I was wondering, like, why am I not satisfied with the Christian life? Or, like, have I been undersold or or oversold the gospel? And some of you might feel like that, that you've been kind of sold. Wait, but that's not how the gospel actually is. That's not how it's working. And that's where it hasn't been fully realized yet. Your glory hasn't come. It gets, it gets a million times better. You are in the time of present suffering to incomparable glory. Don't act like this is incomparable glory. It's not. It's not. And so, in this time now, we are groaning and we are calling out to God end the suffering, give us the glory. This is a time of hope for glory to come. Now, I talked earlier about the fact that sometimes suffering doesn't result in glory. Sometimes it just beats you down. And so what hope do we have that we are moving towards glory? Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. No one but Jesus. That Jesus already went through the suffering. He went through the suffering and he has made it to glory. Glory. And if we are trusting in Jesus, we are guaranteed that our suffering is going to get us to that final place. There be nothing but peace and joy basking in the blessedness of God for all eternity. He is our hope. That he already made the journey. And actually, you as already adopted sons in one sense, you're going to make it there because Jesus made it there. There is no question, if you are in Jesus, you will be glorified. The only problem is we lose hope. We lose hope, we lose heart, we get discouraged. The suffering is, is overbearing, we can't see past it. And that's where, thankfully, there's a, there's a third party that actually groans and suffers To move toward incomparable glory, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit joins us in our suffering to move us towards glory. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So, in our suffering, we become weak, we become broken, and ultimately, we become very forgetful. We become very forgetful. We forget the character of God. We forget the reason for our hope. We forget that there's glory out there that's going to be incomparable. And all we can see is right what's before us. But I think there's a, there's a worse, an even worse thing that we forget. We forget that there's something worse than suffering. That there's something worse than suffering. That there is sin. And that We suffer from deeper afflictions than the suffering that goes around us. That we have poison in our very souls. That we are dead to the core. That sin is destroying us. And so we forget that that the only reason there is suffering in this world is because we were sinners. And because we wanted glory away from God, we tried to get it through sin. That Adam tried to get it through sin, and we try to get it through sin. And all we do is destroy ourselves and increase the suffering and cycle it upon itself, and we go down in this, this terrible spiral. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit doesn't let us just get consumed with our suffering. That He has a bigger plan for us to actually free us from sin. That's where you see verse 20, 27. Actually, it's second half of 26. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So when we pray, we often are just, all we care about is, is end the suffering. Lord, end the suffering. Get me out of this. And thankfully we kind of have a check on that. And the Holy Spirit, he is praying to. He is praying for us. And actually, he is groaning too. So he, he came. You've got to give credit to the Holy Spirit. Okay, He came. He came to dwell in the hearts of you and me. And it's disgusting in there. It's real bad. All right? Horrible. And the Holy Spirit, the thing that he has to suffer is enduring us and living in these trash heaps, and watch us sin our brains out, and trample on grace, and run after idols, and do just stupid things. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit sees that as the big problem. When he sees us sinning, he groans. He suffers. But he groans and he suffers in hope of incomparable glory. that he actually prays that God might use the suffering. Not just get rid of the suffering, but use the suffering for glory. That we might be free from sin and ultimately transformed in the very image of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit comes, he groans and he cries out to God, make them in the image of Jesus. Make them gracious people. Make them loving people. Make them people who are courageous and bold. Who worship with all their hearts. Who are willing to to sacrifice and, and die even that they may glorify the Father. That is the Holy Spirit's prayer. And thankfully, God hears it. Verse 27 and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Basically, God sends God to be in us, to pray to God, so that God can answer that prayer. All right, It's like the only way this is going to work is if God takes care of it. So he, he, he sends the Spirit to pray the prayers that we need to pray, and that we fail to pray, and then to answer them that we might be transformed in the image of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit, his, his uncomfortable job is. And that is why he groans day in and day out before the Lord that we might be transformed to look like Jesus. Now the question is, is being transformed in the image of Jesus, is it worth the suffering? Is it worth the suffering? Is it worth the suffering for you? And as we ask that question, we need to look, look fresh at the cross. That there is nothing more glorious and beautiful and awe-inspiring and worship-provoking than the cross of Jesus Christ. Than the work of Jesus. That this is, this is God himself come to suffer and die on the cross for us. That we, we tried to get glory by sinning against God and Jesus came to give us glory by being sinned against and destroyed and crushed so that we might be transformed in the image of him. And when Jesus comes back, his glorious presence is going to transform the world. That We talked about creation being transformed. Creation is going to be transformed into the fullness of Christ. that Jesus is going to infuse his glory into all things. The glory of the cross. The glory of the resurrection. The glory of his transformation. And we're going to be transformed too. To look exactly like Jesus. To be beautiful and awe-inspiring and glorious. So that we can worship this Jesus who's the most beautiful, amazing, captivating thing that has ever happened and will ever happen, that ever existed, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. That's our hope and suffering. That's the incomparable glory is nothing but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. And we remember that we're going to do the Lord's Supper now. This is our glorious Savior saying that that he is with us. That he has already suffered the ultimate suffering. He has died the ultimate death, and he is giving it to us. That Jesus doesn't stand aloof to this whole mess. That we, we messed it up. We created the suffering, and Jesus came to suffer and die to fix it. And not just fix it, but give us incomparable glory to replace it. Let's pray. Father, these are, these are mind-numbing concepts. And these are, are bigger than we can fathom. And Father, we will not know them until we see them. But we ask that our hope would be in you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being willing to, to transform us in the image of Jesus and you suffering to do it. Father, I ask that we would bear suffering patiently and with great hope that there is glory to come and Father would you help us to see the beauty of Jesus May we want nothing more than to be like him and to be with him and to see a world filled with his glory may we stand in awe and worship of you we pray in Christ's name